resuming our series on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitude number three, Blessed are the meek. Uh, let me give you, without over-exaggerating <laughs> things, this is the most important passage and most important message up to this point. Why? Because there's a turning point in, in this beatitude. And then good news, and that God always gives us a comfort. So in, in terms of comforting, good news is that there's a secret here. There was mourning, there was uh, abasement of our, ourselves in the first beatitude. But this beatitude actually is a secret to contentment. Not because of things that are happening, that on, once again, the change of circumstances, environment, but because of the transformation in our heart, that we could be content. As I mentioned, um, the Beatitude is about true Christianity. Basically, Beatitude is a Jesus' definition of what Christian is. And it is also the portrait of what Christians are all like, the Christian character. But lest you think that this is some kind of a God's command, a Christ's command for us to continually strive to obey, like in terms of law. No, it is not. The whole thing is God's grace. The primary role is the Holy Spirit. So as, as our faith and grace and our responsibility of trusting and obeying is always in line with, not against with, the sovereign grace of God. But first thing that we need to know is that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. So in some sense, we could take a look at this as spiritual audit. Am I a true Christian? If we don't see these things, not in a qualification is no one has a perfect degree that will be the glorification and no presence of sin in our life. But the, the taste of now is there. The consumption of the whole beatitude will be when we see Jesus face to face, when Jesus returns, when we enter the fullness of kingdom of God. So our interest is more than just looking at it as some nice moralistic saying as I mentioned repeatedly, but look at beatitude as a process of sanctification, spiritual transformation. There is a progression. And in that progression today is really critical step. And I'll tell you a little bit of why this uh, message stirs me personally and as a church in a bit. But let's talk about the meekness itself, is it really for all of us? And some of us 
don't have the meek, gentle personality. And I'm much more known for intensity and, and passion, in a good sense, right? Or that's a flip side of it is I'm too hot temper. Sometimes I, I am too extreme in some sense. So I'm far from naturally gentle person. And some of you who are especially eccentric person. I didn't say selfish or self-centered. <laughs> right? So your expression is very just naturally loud. Um, is it for me? Is it for all of us? There are a few things that we wanted to think about. The first of all, think about the goal of Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is that we become more like Christ. So we are growing in spiritual life. The spiritual growth at the end of the our journey, God, in Romans 8, verse 29, wants us to conform to the image of His Son. So we want to, all different personalities in our character, we want to see love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, all those things as a fruit of the Holy Spirit within us. But at the, at the heart of it, when you think about Christ's character and central quality, Jesus refers to himself, I am meek and lowly in heart. That's his self-description. And if, if we are really serious about pursuing Christ's likeness, the meekness is at the center of it. A lot of modern translation will use the word gentleness because we don't even use the meek, the word meek or meekness in our daily language. The similar thing, but the meekness has more biblical root to it. So we're going to stick to the word meek, although it's the same thing, the gentleness or meekness. Number three, the call is not for the personality, as I mentioned, but for character, a heart of brokenness toward others as well as toward God. I'll explain a little bit more in the next slide. And because of all this, therefore, the meekness is for all Christ followers without exception. So once again, this beatitude, eight beatitude, are not the eight different types of Christian, Christians, like the spiritual gifts. Well, these are actually different sides of Christ-like character, a fruit that has a different angle to it, a diamond that has different lights of reflection, but it's the one thing. So what then does it mean to be meek? We need to talk about what it does not mean to clarify before we get into the true meaning. Uh, 
let's deal with some misunderstandings. Foremost, meekness is not weakness. Remember the beginning of a Sermon on the Mount, I, um, I shared my struggle as a teenage boy growing up that this was the most difficult aspect of Christian life. And then as a teenage boy who's admiring um, to be tough, Bruce Lee was my hero in that sense. The meekness is just last thing I wanted, isn't it? Okay, we're not teenagers anymore. But you know in your workforces, nice guys, they're saying like that, right? Finishes last. The girls don't want nice guys at their date and their husband. <laughs> They're boring. Meekness is not weakness. It's actually meekness has a lot of strength and power to it. And we'll explain in a bit once again. Let's further clarify. Meekness is not just being nice, people-pleasing, Spineless, timid, cowardly, nor is it, is it an innate natural personality. There's some people who are naturally soft and gentle. But the biblical meekness under on, on scrutiny of biblical definition, and that person has a strange, different way of expressing his or herself, stubborn self. But for example, the people who are hot-tempered like me will express anger and uneven raised voice, some some sense. Um, and the naturally gentle personalities will... Be passively aggressive. So when personalities like me fight, I'd rather have someone who shouts back or even spit at me rather than my wife style who just shut down. I have no, nothing to say and I want to engage some conversation. But it, it is her way. She seems so gentle. But, you know, the gentleness toward others. And to me, it feels like icing cold. The whole wall is third, fourth, fifth wall is there. I'm not allowed to get in. We also know the personalities, natural personalities like that. They're not fighting back, not because of their self-control, or love to others, but because they couldn't muster the, the courage. Oh, why didn't you? Why didn't you yell back over something? That was a really insulting remark. Oh, at that time I was just too scared. And later on, you find out it was an intentional. No retaliation was not intentional. So those are the people who actually hover 
resentment over time, and when they explode, oh, watch out, it's really, really dangerous. <laughs> In essence, meekness is power under control. When someone has an extremely powerful, not only the, the nature, but opportunity, you could crush that person with words or with, with physical violence, or whatever that might be. But the power is under control of humility. Power is under control of God, the Holy Spirit. So as opposed to people who have a weak personality, couldn't muster the courage to fight back and regret later and to say those things, couldn't say those things that he wanted to say or she wanted to say, and later on, I should have said this. It could hurt him, it could hurt us much. But truly a meek person, the outside and inside, when he or she doesn't fight back, there's a peace. There isn't a different version of what internal state looks like. In that sense, isn't it true that our noble, intentional effort to be gentle, especially, you know, I appreciate Jay's always being honest about um, struggles in their marriage and you know, when I hear those, those stories, it really sometimes uh, remarkably funny to me. Because <laughs> they're very different people. And then in our marriages also, too. But there is an effort in every couple, including us. Oh, I could have said this. I took it in. I held my tongue back. But the internal state was not meek. In ancient times, biblical world, the ancient classic Greek, Koine Greek, has this term in other extra biblical literatures and secular literature was used for taming stallion. Think about just very strong, wild horse. When it's tamed, and they'll say, he's a meek stallion, or she's a meek stallion. If the horse gets wild, the horse can kick you, and you could die. A horse can do whatever that he needs to do to get the person who's trying to ride off his back. But horse is meek now. He's under the control. But picture that. Holy Spirit resides in us, every single believer. Are we meek? And surrendered and easy to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
That is the picture. So the heart condition, transformed character, not innate personality, where self is broken toward God and others. In that sense, a meek person does not seek self-importance or self-assertion. A meek person submits to God's will. A meek person is gentle when provoked. A meek person is bold in the face of evil and righteous anger. So in other words, it's not peace at the price of all. A meek person will show indignant anger and even rock the boat. And maybe uh, in examples, we'll talk about that more. A meek person, finally, is teachable and approachable by others. It's one thing to be humble to God. And it is so true that Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, the definition and wisdom of meekness is like this. There is a test that we could do whether we are becoming more meek, a meeker in, in that sense. We go to God and we confess, Lord, I'm an awful sinner. See my pride. See my self-righteousness. Oh, have mercy on me. I'm an arrogant guy. And all of a sudden, your friend comes right to you and said, I agree, you're an awfully arrogant guy. And you want to punch him. The meek person is that his attitude toward God is translated into 360 degree. As a matter of fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, it's an incredible thing, it's really, really true, the more I think about it, the more it is true. Because a meek person is amazed by how well God treats, that, treats him or her, or others, how well others treat him. Why? Because the opening of the spiritual eye, he saw himself as is before God with ugly things underneath all that. So you ask, um, how is that even possible for us? And that's the wisdom and paradox of Beatitudes. Let me give you just Quick overview again. Top four. Four Beatitudes are actually emptying process. What, what are we emptying? The whole Beatitude is about Christian. Christian, right? Righteousness. That's the theme. Remember the verse four? I mean, the Beatitude four and Beatitude eight is all about righteousness. It's a Christian righteousness. Biblical righteousness. But the top four is emptying process of false righteousness. 
which is self, self-righteousness. So in, in this sense, we could really look at it as God is dealing with our stubborn self, the, the, what the New Testament calls flesh, innately self-stubborn, self-insisting, self-absorbed self. And by the time when we go to the four, finally that emptying false righteousness will give us a, the right type of hunger. We've been hungering for our self-righteousness. We've been hungering for our self-importance, self-entitlement. And all of a sudden, when those things are emptied out, we hunger for righteousness. Hunger and, for, hunger and thirst for righteousness. What are you craving these days? The things that you're craving, you are craving, actually gives you heartache too. Whether it's more money, more uh, better business, or promotion, or better kids, in terms of well-behaved, or they're getting good grades and extracurricular are going well, and giving us a heartache. A meek person is dealing with that self. Actually, should I say, God is dealing with the stubborn self in that meek person's heart. The bottom four is actually feeling process. Feeling with the right righteousness. True righteousness. Righteousness of God. And when we are filled with the righteousness, hunger for righteousness, we begin to do things that crave, craving is consistent, congruent with God's desire, which comes with mercy and purity in heart, which is a lot about holiness and single-mindedness, and peacemaking, reconciliation, and they're willing to take suffering and persecution for the righteousness' sake. One more. Another commentator will see that as number one through four would be more about our relationship with God. And number five through eight is our relationship with others. It makes sense. Well, I have a problem with number three. It sounds like more meek person has a lot to do with others. No, outcome would be that way. The meek person, we all know innately. Because the meek person is very approachable. You know who else knows really well? Our children. Our children know innately and I'm not talking about the gentle, nice guys, naturally, the people. But I'm talking about people who are character with the absence of insisting, asserting self. They're inviting.
But it is not relational first. It is about our relationship with God first because the problem is the self. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, there's so many things that I could quote, but this is probably one thing that I chose, and a little bit of an excerpt. He writes, meekness is essentially a true view of oneself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. It is my attitude towards myself. It is on expression of that in my relationship to others. You see how it inevitably follows being poor in spirit and mourning. To be meek, in other words, means that you have finished with yourself altogether. And you come to see you have no rights or deserts at all. You come to realize that nobody can harm you. John Bunyan puts it perfectly in his uh, Pilgrim's Progress. He that is down need fear no fall. Brothers and sisters, my dear, my dear church, if you ask me, Pastor Paul, I would love to pray for you. I'm committed to pray for you. And I'm going to ask you this, not just for this week, but this, not just this month, as long as you remember, if you could pray for one thing, and I'm going to ask for you, I'm going to ask that you pray for my brokenness before God. Pray that I would be meek. Pray that God will save me from myself. A lot of my night, middle of the night struggle with myself. And I know I have tasted a little bit of freedom and joy of that. And if you are Christian, somewhere in, in your Christian journey, you have tasted just a little bit of that. That you are actually free from yourself. You don't have to have it last words. You don't have to have it, the things that you crave for so much. Because God has freed you. And you are free to admit your brokenness and your junk. And you are saying, I was wrong. I hurt you. That's the man and woman of free heart. The meek person doesn't have a self-pity. Why? Because when you don't have anything, you actually have God. Less of me, more of God, remember? And when we have more of God, we have more than anything we need. That was actually secret of Philippians 4 and 
Apostle Paul's meekness. But two examples that I want to focus on and I have to fight with my own reasoning for that because I I want to keep it simple for us to remember rather than elaborate examples of just uh, understanding conceptually. Old Testament, I chose Moses. And since because we are going through study studies in Exodus, this is a fascinating example. Because uh, in the Bible, I mean, this is the best compliment that anybody can get. Numbers 12, verse 3 said, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. The meekest person of the earth goes to Moses. So you think that, oh, Moses probably had it easy. So he already has a godly man and but we have studied through the book of Exodus. First 40 years, we really look at it as a different Moses. And the third, when he finally became 80 years old, and God calls him at the burning bush, and that the 40 years are spent to deliver the people of God from the bondage of Egypt, that 40 years is so contrasting. But well, there's one 40 years missing, which is the second, second 40 years. The first 40 years, he grew up as a prince of Egypt, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He received the best training. He probably began to think, and because of his heritage, he understood the, the bondage and suffering of his own people. And he probably told himself, there is no better person that qualifies to be deliverer of Israelites, the Hebrews in this land. I am the person. I'm the guy. And he's out of anger. So he's a temperate person. He sees an Egyptian mistreating his own people, Hebrew. And hit, hits that person, accidentally kills, and because of that, he flees to the desert of Midian. For 40 years, he's nobody. He's shepherding. Smelly sheep were all day long with him. What was happening in 40 years, during that 40 years? His false self righteousness, his false self confidence was stripped by the Holy Spirit. God is working in his heart. By the end, at the end of uh, that 40 year and burning bush, he's 80 now, and God says, I will send you. In the beginning, when you glance over Exodus, it sounds like a timid guy giving a lot of excuses. And there's some sense, there's a, um, that side of that also too, but I believe that comes from true understanding of who he is. He finally understood, I have no ability to important work of God. 
I'm disqualified. I am nobody. Send someone else. After all, this is true. I get tongue-tied. So I have a sympathy and empathy with uh, Moses, too, because I have a major problem with, unlike my brother. So what, what was going on? He became meek. He became easy to control un, under the sovereign control of God. He became tamed. So we, we will anticipate the moment that Israelites would begin to not only grumble this time, the sons of Korah opposes Moses. And actually, Moses getting angry and killing them, God actually talks to God and God shows up, opens the ground. And then 250 people of Korah, sons of Korah, goes down, swallowed up by the land, earth. But it gets even more deeper, sharper edge and cutting edge. Because when you think about betrayal, the closer the people are, right? Moses' brother Aaron and his sister Miriam got jealous. You think you're the only one God speaks through? And Moses, instead of fighting them, goes to God again. And instantaneously, the Lord shows up, makes Miriam leprous, becomes white. The first thing that he comes, comes out of Moses' mouth I told you so. No, it wasn't that. That was my version, right? <laughs> I would have said that. <laughs> Please heal her. Bring healing. God actually answers him and gives him, gives Miriam healing, but not after 10 days. She was cast out outside the camp because she's unclean. And then she was brought back after 10 days. You see, we need to see the human side of all these biblical characters. They were just like us. So the breaking of our own stubborn self is not only God's will and God's work, but our submission too. In the New Testament, Jesus himself, uh, Matthew 11, verse 28 to the 29, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls. When you think about Jesus' words, next time when you go through the gospel, watch out. Remember the meek person submits the will of God? He, Jesus will say, I do nothing out of my own will. Everything that I give you, I receive from, 
from my Father. That he will say, Father, glorify your name and glorify your Son so that you will be glorified. Lest we think that Jesus is always a nice guy, like in the TV portrayal is that. He will never say anything. He even doesn't raise voice at all. But there is an indignant anger when children was coming to him and when they blocked the children, he said, let the children come to me. When there is a hypocrisy in religious leaders, woe to you Pharisees, you vipers, sons of vipers, you whitewashed tomb, you hypocrite. That's a big person saying. If Jesus did not say and did not react to those unjust hypocrisy, he would not be biblically meek. What about the temple? When there's a money changers and all these, the, his indignant anger against the holiness of God and that he will make the stripe and he will chase the animals and money changers out of the, his uh, out of the temple. And and um, Lastly, responding to insults, mistreatments, and suffering in the cross, at one blink of his will, the angel army, 10,000 angel army, can wipe them out. But Jesus, like a lamb, like a, like a sheep, did not open his mouth. And even to the betraying, Judas Iscariot, he called him at Gethsemane, friend, my friend. And at the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. So, um, I don't, not only this Blessing seems really obscure and paradoxical, oxymoron. But the result of that meekness is also strange. The meek shall inherit the earth. How? Because we all hear that. You go to the seminar for management class. They will say, assert yourself. Because you being nice, you're going to get pushed over. This whole language came out of Psalm 37. And listen to this. This is how meek person would look like in terms of inside out, faith and obedience in, in his conduct. I wish I could introduce the whole psalm, but for the sake of time, let's do verse 5 through 11. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act not I. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not. Don't get angry and complain yourself over 
the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Not the assertive, but the meek shall inherit the earth in two ways. One, in the future, they will inherit the new heaven and earth. And this is actually the eternal kingdom of God. The heaven will be temporary state until we get resurrection body. But when Jesus returns and the church is resurrected, and there will be a new heaven and earth, and Christ will invite us as co-heirs and core rulers of this earth together, they will inherit the earth. This is an incredible thing, isn't it? What happened, what, what, what's going to happen to the people who are prideful and self-confident and self-asserting? They will be no more. Lest we think that, once again, the kingdom of God is always in the future. It's already here, but not yet. Now, what are we experiencing? This is what's going on in, in, when Jesus' wisdom is a, in the present. The meek are truly satisfied, and they're content with all things. The rich gets even more burdensome with worries with what they possess. Because their possession tend to possess them. And actually, the meek person who doesn't have this obsession with the self, freed from self-absorption and self-entitlement, anything he or she gets is a blessing. Content. Apostle Paul, his confession is, I learned to be, I learned to be abounding. And I learned to contend when it's lack. And poor and rich. And then the, the famous misquoted out of the context verse, I can do anything, all things in Christ through him who gives me strength, who strengthens me. So can, you, can you think about this? This is what I meant by freedom from yourself and contentment now. Not when you make that promotion. Not when your kids are going to that college or this college. Or not when you arrive at that Beautiful house in the perfect neighborhood. But today, 
whatever the imperfection you have, whatever the shortage in your finance you have, whatever the problems your kids might have, you could be content. You could possess the land. Wow, think about this. John Brennan is really right. The man who has lost everything, in my version, paraphrase now, has nothing to lose. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. I am not describing such, such like an Eastern philosophy or religion, the arriving at certain state. So you looked at it as, oh, I can never be there. That's far, far away from me. No, we get to taste. And it is a work of the Holy Spirit. And we get a glimpse of this freedom as we continually surrender our hearts to him. As a matter of fact, the, the very difference between the Eastern guru, Eastern religion or Eastern philosophy gurus versus the biblical spiritual Leaders and examples. Paul, for example. Contrastingly different. I have arrived. And Paul always said, I am the chief of the sinners. My brokenness is even more glaringly apparent in my eyes. So the world is saying, be assertive for yourself, conquer and take what's rightfully yours. Jesus says, be broken and meek. Let God give you the contentment both now and eternity. Now I'm praying this. The second prayer request I have is for this church. If you pray for this church for more than anything, I am praying and I will ask God for mercy that we will be meek people. We will be meek church. So we might not make front page of LA Times or New York Times at all. But in our context in everyday life, if we live out this contentment, a person whose self is broken unto God, and unto others, we will see a salt and light, the radical difference, countercultural difference that unbelievers desperately need to see. True Christianity. And we will experience freedom and joy. I want to conclude with, can you move it just a little bit? Three thoughts in our application. How do we embrace meekness in our everyday, everyday life? How do we live out this beatitude? Number one, embrace the first two beatitudes. Be poor in spirit and mourn over your sin. And this is a very important step. We cannot skip this step. What I'm saying is, yeah, are you excited now that you want to be free from yourself and you want to be meek? Yes, 
First thing that you need to know is you cannot do it. Oh. This is a paradoxical thing, right? God only can. At the end of the day, our struggle and our surrender and everything, if God doesn't do it, we will not be meek. But we will step into it and embrace it. God, have mercy on me. Like the tax collector who prayed, or like the Pharisees who pray for the self-confidence, be merciful to me, a sinner. Once again, at the best day of your life, when you're when you're when your quiet time and when your service at church, when your marriage is at the best, we we ought to say, be merciful to me. But when you're struggling, along with Apostle Paul, mourning of our, of our helplessness and sinfulness and deep depravity in our own lives, and saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So the first thing we need to do is embrace the first two beatitude. And that will lead us. I can't do it. I'm going to surrender. And I'm going to emphasize that word broke ourself, but it is a stubborn self. The breaking, willful breaking of that stubborn self is necessary. This is our work. I would call it a soul work. When Holy Spirit prompts you, I think Jay's example is wonderful for us too. Instead of arguing, instead of delaying, I break my will. And the Old Testament calls it, you stiff-necked eye. And you stiff-necked people. The neck is so stiff that they cannot even bow to God. That we break stiff-necked eye Lord, have mercy on me. Here's myself. Whatever is worth, at, at my best knowledge, I surrender my will to you. My heart is yours. My will is yours. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it very straightforward. Remember that quote? When Christ calls man... He bids him to come and die. Die to self. If you do not deny yourself and take up the cross, you cannot be my disciple. Day by day, that's our job. In the morning, you get up and say, my stubborn self, if I continue to hold on to it, it's going to get stiffened. It's going to get hardened. It's going to get calloused. And even numb. Galatians 2.20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. So living in the grace for actively participating through the means of grace. One of the books that was most helpful in terms of dealing with my eccentric self and I'm grateful for my parents to give a, gave a, who gave us freedom to be whatever we are and express whatever we... And it, it ended up being my brother expressed himself really freely, very different, and I did myself too. But until God's heavy hand was on me, I could not break my arrogance and my pride, subtle pride. I'll even confess at times in the past about my pride. But in my solitude, God will convict me. You confess your pride to others so that confessing your pride will look, make you look humble. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. In my confession, Roy Hessian writes this. This is possible, sisters and brothers. He writes, those who have been tropical lands tells us that there's a big difference between a snake and worm when you attempt to strike at them. The snake rears itself and up and hisses and tries to strike back. A true picture of self. But a worm offers no resistance. It allows you to do what you like with it and kick it or squash it under your heel. A picture of true brokenness. Of course, this is not a being a doormat. I, mean, I mentioned that internal state is like totally different and just cowardlessness or the spinelessness let others to walk all over us. That's not the picture. This is the picture of Jesus who is not fighting back when he was insulted because his heart was still content and at peace with the Father. I can never do that. Oh yeah, I used to say that too. But you know what? We need to taste heaven today. When you swallow up your pride and die to self and say, I surrender my stubborn self to you, God. And he will prompt you. Do that accordingly. And it might get involved in going to someone apologizing. It might not be, it might be the, in your argument with your husband or wife or children not screaming and not fighting back because the key idea is who is free the meek person is free from himself and herself so I pray without perfectionism that our church will experience 
a taste of heaven, and the contentment and pleasure in the presence of God in this coming week. And then in so doing, we don't have to do it alone. We have a teacher who knows how to be meek. Learn the meek way of Jesus as you take his easy yoke daily. He said, take my yoke upon you. And he already said, my yoke is easy. And learn from me. When that yoke is placed on the inexperienced oxen, and then the other oxen who is experienced with yoke, is actually the training together. Jesus will teach us the meek way of Jesus. So we will not get confused about the wrong way of living it out moralistically and nobly. So my invitation to you, brothers and sisters, let's envision our church to experience that freedom and taste that freedom by being meek. May God bless us, each one of us, as we simply in childlike way submit ourselves. Let's pray. Oh, Abba Father, we belong to you and we thank you for your word and, and this paradoxical truth in our lives. So whenever we have this rationalization in our hearts that we will never be like this, I pray that you will t- give us taste of your heaven and your shalom and your contentment in our daily lives. We truly want to be broken to you and to others around us. Because it is the kingdom of God we pursue and as we seek the kingdom of God we know for a fact the kingdom of self must be destroyed and undermined and rule over our hearts And I pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.